Amen. Take your Bibles. Preaching time. Turn to the book of Revelation. Last book in your Bible, book of Revelation, chapter 3. Encourage you to be back tonight for the simple fact I don't think I will finish this message this morning. Uh, I'm going to just go down through here, and if I get time, I will without rushing. Uh, the Lord gave me a thought, and uh, the wee hours of the morning, and I couldn't wait to share it with you this morning. And uh, what well, somebody said, a ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Sometimes when I preach a message, you think, preacher, do you think we really need that right now? Might need it right now. You might not need it today, but you might need it next week. Amen. You might need it next month. And uh, whenever I read the Bible, if there's something in there that doesn't necessarily apply to me at that particular moment, I just kind of tuck it away and save it because I know I'm going to need it pretty soon. Amen. And this message is a message that needs to be taken both uh, as individuals and then collectively as a church. And uh, because the church is made up of you. We talk about the church, we're talking about us, you, me and you. We are the church. Uh, it's not this building, it's not the walls and the ceiling and the, and the drywall and the chandeliers. It's not what makes a church. It's the people. And so when we preach about the church, we're talking about you. We're talking about me. And the book of Revelation, chapter number three, there's a, a uh, passage of scripture a little late on my heart that we want to look at. And uh, man, God, I don't know how many times I've preached from this chapter, preached from these verses in my ministry, um, but I'm so grateful for every time I pick up the Bible, God shows me something new and something yeah. fresh. Yeah. I never cease to be amazed. I was telling somebody that this past week we were talking about the Bible, how alive it is. And it's alive. If you'll let the Holy Spirit of God, he'll bring that Bible alive when you're reading it. Now, if you read the Bible and you don't get anything out of it, you, and that happens on a, on, a, on a regular basis, you might want to check up, see whether or not you've been saved. Amen. Amen. But if you're saved, you've got the author yes. of this book living on the inside. Yes. Amen. Yes. He'll open your eyes and your understanding and you're enlighten you. And you'll read that Bible, and I'm telling you what, it'll start to, it'll start to feed your soul. And uh, I love this book. I'm grateful for this book. I'm glad God told me to preach the word. That's the best thing I can think of to preach. Amen. I've known some preachers get up and read out of the Reader's Digest. The preacher one time preached out of the Sports Illustrated. I'm like, goodness. He said, there's a good thought in here. I'm like, put that piece of junk down and get your Bible out. Amen. And uh, this Bible's alive and it's relevant. It's relevant. You can't get any more relevant than the Laodicean church age, which is where we're looking at this morning. Stand with me, please, if you would, as we read Revelation chapter 3. And we'll just see how far we get in the message this morning. And uh, God tells me to just unhook and we'll unhook and pick back up tonight. But in verse 14, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. If you've got a red letter Bible, this is in red. Yes. This is Jesus talking. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I want to preach this morning on that statement in verse number 16, thou art lukewarm. Thou art lukewarm. Lord, help us this morning as we read these verses. Lord, there was a message that you was trying to convey to the church at Laodicea. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would open our hearts, our ears, that you would open our understanding. And may we glean truth that would help us in our Christian walk and as a church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I want to begin by saying that if you ask me my opinion, I know God has an opinion of our church, and that's obviously far more accurate and far more objective than mine. But if you were to ask me, Pastor Shifflett, do you think that Calvary Baptist Church is in a state this morning of lukewarmness? I'd have to tell you, I don't think so. I don't believe so. Let me put it this way, if we're lukewarm, then the rest of the churches I've been to is in a whole lot of hurt and a lot of trouble. I really believe that right now that this message that God has laid upon my heart is a preventive type message collectively as a church. But there's no question in my mind that there are individuals sitting inside this service that you as an individual would probably be described by God or fall in that category of being lukewarm. And I really this morning, I want you to just listen. I want you to listen to this message as if you are lukewarm. You say, well, I'm not lukewarm, I'm on fire. Well, let's just assume for a little bit that you are lukewarm and how you got there and what God wants you to do about it. Can we do that this morning? Sometimes it's good for us to just let God tell us what we are instead of us telling God what we are. Three or four things I want to notice by way of introduction as we jump into this passage of scripture this morning, the first thing I want to notice are the works of the lukewarm in verse number 15. Here's what Jesus said, I know thy works. I know thy works. So thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou work cold or hot. They were working. This church was working. These people were working. But it was not acceptable works. Don't, don't fall into that that, that trap of thinking that because you're doing something that you're on fire for God. Amen. I don't want to bust your bubble this morning, but even lost people can do something for God. Right. Even people that's never been born again, never been saved, can be involved in ministry. Right. In the book of Matthew, Jesus said, in that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name uh, cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then I will say unto them, depart from me, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. Just because you're working doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because you're working doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you're working and doing something doesn't mean you're on fire for God. That's the first thing I want to notice this morning was their works. They were going through the motions, but there was no heart behind it. They were involved in ministry, fulfilling their duty, but there was no fire, no fervency, no passion in their labor and in their service. Look back at the beginning of chapter three. You see another church, church at Sardis, had the same problem, verse one. Jesus said, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Look at what he says at the end of verse number two. I have, found, I have not found thy works perfect 
before God. They were working. They were doing something. We don't know what. I'm not going to try to speculate as to what they were doing, so let's just make it, let's make it relevant. Let's talk about us for just a minute. They were, they were teaching Sunday school. They were working on bus routes. They were passing out tracts. They were inviting people to church. They were singing in the choir. Uh, they were, they were uh, helping with the grass and painting the Sunday school rooms, and, and they were visiting shut-ins, and they were taking soup to the people in the hospital. They were doing all these things, but you know what Jesus said? That's not good enough. They were working, but there was no passion. There was no fire, no fervency in their work. In fact, he said in verse number one, looking at your works, I've had to draw the conclusion that everybody else thinks you're alive, but I know you're dead. I think it's important we understand he's talking to saved people. You say, is it possible for a saved person to get lukewarm? Sure it is. Is it possible for a bonfire to go out and leave cold ashes on the ground? Sure it is. We see the works of the lukewarm. We see, and by the way, we got churches all over America right now that's lukewarm. That used to be, used to be, used to be. The, 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 the churches that people look to as an example and as a model of how to have church. Churches that used to have a reputation for revival and, and reaching their community and, 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 and growth and, and fruit bearing and, and the messages from the pulpit were, were fiery and life changing and people were in a, in a perpetual state of, of revival. Altars were full and, and the mourners bitches were full and people were getting saved and the baptismal waters were stirred and, and the people were added to the church and now you go by there and it's dry as last year's bird's nest. Works alone, not what you, what you need. Amen. Works of the lukewarm. Secondly, we see the wretchedness of the lukewarm. In verse number 16 and 17, Jesus said, because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's a real nice King James way of saying you make me want to puke. Look at what he says in verse number 17, because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art, and he gives this list, wretched. Boy, what a word, wretched. Wretched. Miserable. Boy, that would describe the average Baptist. Come on now. Miserable. How you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. I forget I asked. Hang on a second. I wasn't thinking and realized who I was talking to. I did not mean to ask you how you're doing. I'm just going to say it's good to see you and keep going. <laughs> miserable. Miserable. You look at their face and their chins dragging out their tracks. Bottom lips hanging out. Life of misery, wretchedness. These are people that have a testimony of salvation. Miserable. Wretched, poor. How, how, how does the church, how did the church, this is the same, this is the same blood-bought children of God that the book of Ephesians was written to, to tell us how rich we are. Tell us our inheritance in Christ. Talk about the, 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 the untapped resources of the creator. God Almighty has opened up the south end of heaven and has poured it into our hearts and our lives, into our churches. How is it that somebody that has given us so much could look at us and say, you're poor? 
described them as blind and naked. What a horrible state for the church of the living God to find themselves in. This is the church that Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Church of Laodicea looks nothing like the church Jesus built. Looks nothing like the Acts 2 prototype of the church Jesus wants us to have. We see the works, we see the wretchedness, we see, number three, the warning for the lukewarm. In verse number 18, I counsel thee. God said, I'm, I'm going to give you some advice here. I, I, I'm seeing the condition you're in, the wretchedness, the misery, the poor, the blind, the naked, and uh, this, can't, this can't go on. This can't continue. You need to do something. We see the warning for the lukewarm. I counsel thee, I advise thee. Buy of me. Buy of me. <laughs> I, I, how many times I've read that? I don't know how many times I've seen that. But this morning, it's like I saw it in a different light. It's time to go shopping in God's storehouse and quit shopping in the devil's store. Any church that's lukewarm, any Christian's lukewarm is because they've been shopping in the wrong store. Come on now. He always has what we need. God has the answer to our problem. He's got the solution for our situation, our predicament. And we're in a mess. We're in a mess. I wish you could see, I referred to this Wednesday night in my message talking about the light, but I wished, I wished I had the time to just print out a small portion of the emails, text messages, and Facebook messages that I get from people all over the United States of America that say something like this. We've been watching your services online and we're finally getting fed. We've been watching your services online and, and we're, we're just, we can't get over the life and the fire and the passion. They said the church we've been going to, many of them still shut. Here it is, October. Come on now. Still shut. Oh, we want nobody to get Rona. This ain't about Corona. Never has been about Corona. I said that all the way back in March. I'm gonna still say it. This ain't got nothing to do with the coronavirus. Amen. And we just don't want nobody to get sick. I'm gonna tell you something. If you can shut the doors of your church for eight months, you got problems, man. Amen. There ain't no way in the world I could go eight months without church. People calling, people writing, and they're saying, man, it's dead. Our church, our church has turned into a circus. Used to be sound preaching. Used to be people there that were trying to live right and seek after God, and now it's all about the lights and the cameras and the, and the, and the smoke and the fog machines and the praise and worship teams and the drama teams, and, and the only sin in the Bible is judging somebody else. That's the only sin. Everything else is okay. Everything else is allowed. Everything else is permitted, but whatever you do, don't judge somebody. That's where we're at. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, something's got to change. Y'all need some advice. Y'all need some counsel. I can't leave you like this. Something's got to happen. I counsel thee to buy me. Gold tried in the fire. Thou mayest be rich and white raiment thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyes say that thou mayest see. See the warning for the lukewarm. Verse number 19 through verse number 22, we see the warmth 
for the lukewarm. I'm glad that even though when the church's love for God becomes lukewarm, his love for us does not become lukewarm. Look at what he says in verse 19. As many as I love, <laughs> I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Jesus said, you ought to take heart. I love you. And because I love you, I'm not going to leave you like you are. Amen. Somebody told me the other day, they said, you preach too hard to your people. Anybody in here think I preach too hard to y'all? All right, so whoever it was, whatever dumbbell that was that sent that to me in my email, that, nobody raised their hand, so you're wrong. I don't preach too hard. I just preach the Bible. And the Bible, the Bible pulls it pretty tight now. I mean, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you're wretched, and you're miserable, and you're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked. But I love you. So let's fix it. Amen. I'm glad he didn't just tell us how bad we were and then shut the door and leave. In fact, in verse, get to verse number 20, he's still standing at the door knocking. I want to come in and I want to sup with you. Sup, that's the first half of supper. Yeah, yeah. Somebody ought to know this, Jesus was a southerner. He didn't eat dinner, he had supper. He had the last supper. He liked to sup. Amen. He wants to sup with you. You might not want to sup with him. And that's a problem. But he sure wants to come in and sup with you. Thank God for the warmth that he has for you. By the way, he demonstrated his love in verse number 19 by rebuking and chastening. Is that what your Bible says? As many as I love, I hug and pat on the back and say you're doing a good job. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What about that? This indicates that they're saved because God doesn't chasten somebody else's youngins. <laughs> I remember growing up, my parents chasing me. Nobody else's parents ever did. It wasn't their responsibility. You know what God said? Here's what God said in, in, in Hebrews chapter number 12. Let me read this to you. Listen carefully. Hebrews 12, verse 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. We know they're saved because he's talking to the church in Revelation 3. We know they're saved because he's chastening them. But not only are they saved, but it means he loves them and believes that there is hope for revival. We probably would have given up on this church. We probably would have walked in, seen the mess. I mean, wretched, miserable, blind, naked. Who wants to join an outfit like that? We'd have walked in, seen that, done a 180 and went out the door. Said, I ain't going back over there. You know what Jesus said when he saw that outfit? Can I come in? I want to come in. Will you let me in? If you'll open the door, I'll come in and sup with you. Amen. Because I love you and I'm going to rebuke you and I'm going to chasten you. I'm back in Hebrews Chapter 12, he said in verse number 18, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. Right. You say, God's never chastened me, and you just testified to the fact you've never been saved. Because right. if you've been saved, you've been chastened. All of us are partakers. Come on now. Verse number 
9 of Hebrews 12, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh that corrected us and gave, we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more, uh, much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. I don't remember one time ever when I was getting a spanking as a kid saying, whoa, this is great. I love this. Can we do some more of this? Never. When I was getting a spanking, was I enjoying it? Man, if I'd have known this was what was going to happen, I'd have disobeyed mom and daddy earlier. This is great. Now, no pleasure. The Bible says now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. We see the warmth for the lukewarm. You know what he said? He says, I, I believe I can help you if you'll let me. Amen. What a blessing. Amen. Well, that was introduction. I got three points I want to give you. Number one, write this down. We see the prognosis. The prognosis in verse number 16. This is Jesus talking. So then because thou art Lukewarm, he's speaking to the church now. He's speaking to the church, not an individual, but a collection of individuals. Now, can I say it? It's bad when a Christian becomes lukewarm. It's bad when a family in the church gets lukewarm. But it's bad when you've got so many lukewarm individuals and families in the church that now the church has become lukewarm. Your prayer ought to be, if you ever get lukewarm, that you're in a church that's hot, that can heat you back up. Thinking about old uh, Eutychus. Remember, remember in Eutychus in the book of Acts when he was up sitting in that wind in the third loft and Paul was preaching. The Bible said he was preaching till midnight and he was long preaching and old Eutychus fell down, fell down with sleep and the Bible says he fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Boy, can you imagine the tragedy right in the middle of the service? One of the deacons falling out the window and laying on the ground with a broke neck. Boy, that would have been the end of the service at most places. But that church, it was just a bathroom break. I'm not making this up. Bible says that Paul went down and fell upon him and embraced him. He got up from the dead. By the way, the name Eutychus means fortunate. He was fortunate that he died in a church service where there was enough of the power of God to raise him from the dead. If he'd have fell out the window, most churches they'd have had to just bury him right there where he was laying. Bible says they, they, they took him up and, he, and, and his brethren received him and the Bible says they went back up and they tarried till daybreak. Told you it was just a bathroom break. <laughs> Good thing he was in a church where there was some power. Well, if he hadn't have been in a church that had church till midnight, he wouldn't have fell out the window. That's beside the point. The point is, he did fall out the window, and the point is, there was a man there that had enough of the power and the touch of God to raise him from the dead. Amen. I guarantee you, when he went back upstairs, he didn't sit in that window again. I guarantee he looked at that person beside him and said, scoot over, I'm gonna scoot up over here. Forget social distancing, amen. What if he's sitting in your lap? I'll tell you why he fell out the window. He fell out the window because he was further out than he was in. If he'd have been on the edge and he'd have fell asleep, he'd have fell inside the church. We got a lot of church members that are, they're here, but they're about as far out as you can get. And the first little bump in the road, first little disappointment, first little thing happens to you, you fall out the window. You better hope and pray that if you get lukewarm, you're around some people that can help you get back on fire. 
I referred to that bonfire a while ago. We got a bonfire. We're going to have a bonfire over here Friday night. Pray it don't rain. It ain't supposed to. But pray we have a big old bonfire for the teenagers. We're going to have a cookout and roast some marshmallows and have a, have a challenge and have all kind of stuff. I love bonfires. Now, this is deep. Stay with me. This is deep. You know how to get that fire to keep going? Yeah. You got to throw wood on it. And when it burns down, you got to throw some more wood on it. Starts to burn down, you got to throw some more wood on it. And I tell you why you're lukewarm. You stop somewhere, you stop throwing wood on the fire. And let me tell you something. When Jesus says you're lukewarm, you're lukewarm. This isn't a figment of your imagination. He didn't say uh, that, that you appear to be lukewarm. He didn't say, you know, if you don't do some things, you're gonna be lukewarm. He didn't say uh, that some of your sister churches have accused you of being lukewarm. He didn't say that some of the brethren are looking down at you because they think you're lukewarm. He said you are lukewarm. You're lukewarm. That's, that's my prognosis. You're lukewarm. That's pretty simple. That's pretty cut and dried. It's a fact. It's an irrefutable fact. And I'm going to tell you something. When God tells you you look warm, you look warm. Right. You can argue with him until the cows come home. It's not going to change the fact. Again, I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but God laid this message on my heart this morning about 6 o'clock. I had a couple of other messages I was working on. But about 6 o'clock this morning, God laid this one on my heart. And I'm just trying to mind the Lord. Right. Amen. I don't believe this church as a whole is lukewarm. But there's some lukewarm people in this church. There's some people watching on live stream right now sitting in your pajamas. You're going to the pajama church. You're going to the PJ church. I hope you spill your cereal all over your couch. I hope your cat eats all your popcorn while I'm preaching. You may be watching on live stream right now and the Holy Spirit of God saying, that's you, I'm talking to you right now. You're not hot, you're not cold. You're lukewarm, tepid, room temperature, average, average. There's a lot of people saying, well, praise the Lord, I'm not cold. Woo-hoo, I'm not cold. Room temperature. Come on now. I don't want to be cold. I want to be on fire. We see the prognosis. Number two, we see the progression. How does a church become lukewarm? How does a group of Christians that worship together, serve God together, labor together, go to church together, hear preaching together, sing together, go soul winning together, pray together, how do they get to a state of apathy and coldness where Jesus looks at you and says, you're lukewarm, you make me want to puke. How do they get there? By the way, they couldn't blame anybody else for their condition. I want, you to, I want to show you something God showed me out of Colossians 4. Will you turn over Colossians 4 right quick? Colossians chapter number 4. I know it's 3 minutes till 12. Three. Squires is open all day. Don't worry about it. I want you to see something out of Colossians chapter number 4. The Lord help me with this morning. In Colossians chapter number 4, we're talking about the church at Laodicea is lukewarm. How did they get there? I, as, as, a, as a fifth generation independent Baptist preacher, I'm a fifth generation. I got a couple of old Bibles in my, in my library. If you step in there sometime, I'll show you. I got my granddaddy's ordination Bible in there. 
I got my great uncle Looney Layton's Bible in there. Charter member in 1918. A deacon and a Sunday school superintendent, Sunday school teacher at Waterloo Baptist Church in Waterloo, Georgia. As a fifth generation independent Baptist preacher, I study church. It's my life. And I look at churches sometimes and I cock my head and I go, how in the world did they get there? I used to know that pastor. I used to know the guy that pastored before this pastor. Or I knew, I, I, how did they get to where they're at right now? <clears throat> in Colossians chapter number four, are you there? Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and for them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. By the way, look at the name Epaphras up this morning. His name means lovely. <laughs> he was a lovely Christian. He was, a, he was an asset in his local church. How would, you like to, how would you like to be described as a lovely Christian? He's a lovely brother in Christ. I'm not talking about in the squirrely way. I'm talking about, in, you know what I mean. Oh, he's lovely. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about lovely, like God says lovely. Paphras, his name is lovely. And as I began to read these verses, I discovered the example of Epaphras. The church at Laodicea had an example to look at. Lovely, that's pretty much the opposite of wretched and miserable, is it not? I mean, that's the opposite. They had an example of a lovely Christian, a child of God. They had that example in their history. They had not only the example of Epaphras, but we see the expansion of Epaphras. The Bible tells us in, our, in Colossians chapter number four, verse 12, that Epaphras was a member of the church at Colossae. Is that what your Bible says? Huh? Epaphras, who is one of you? He's right to the church at Colossae. Follow the breadcrumb. Epaphras was a member of the church at Colossae. Why is he worried about Laodicea and Hierapolis? I looked up on the map. Those are cities that are on up, on up in the region. That'd be, like, that'd be like us being actively and participating in the, in the welfare and success of a church in York, Pennsylvania, or Philadelphia, or New York. This is a man that's not only lovely in his own local church, but this man is investing in other churches. Right. Amen. By the way, Paul said, I bear him record. Paul said, this isn't hearsay, I've seen it. I know Epaphras. He's actively involved in laboring and serving Verse 12 says, always laboring fervently. That word means hot. Let you catch up. Are y'all with me? They had his example. We see the expansion of Epaphras. We see the expectation of Epaphras. What was he praying about according to verse number 12? Well, he prayed, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I have, I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. There it is again. He didn't just pray fervently, but he labored with much zeal. And this is the opposite of lukewarm, by the way. 
And he said he didn't just do it at his home church in Colossae, but he poured the fire and the zeal and the prayer and the fervency into them that are at Laodicea and them that are Heropolis. The point I'm trying to make to you is the church at Laodicea had somewhere in their past a lovely Christian to point them in how to be anything but what they were at the moment. They couldn't say, well, we've never seen it. We don't know what it's like to be on fire. We've never had anybody teach us or preach to us about being on fire. Well, we've had to kind of figure this out for ourselves. No, God had been so good to them that he had sent them somebody from another church to show them how. And yet here they are, lukewarm. What happened? Somewhere along the way, the zeal, the fervency, the fire, the love, the grace that God had poured into the church of Laodicea They got used to it. They began to not appreciate it. Somewhere along the way, the people that had invested in them, they forgot their example. Imagine having to live with the embarrassment of the fact that a member from another church has more zeal and fervency for your church than you do. I'm trying to get my head wrapped around Epaphras involved in his home church. and said, oh, there's a church over there. There's a church over there. And praying, laboring in prayer for those people that God would bless them and that they would grow up and be strong and mature. I preached Wednesday night about letting your light shine. Remember I talked about maximum impact. I'm hung up on that. So y'all have to just... Help me till I get off this hobby horse. I'm on that hobby horse right now. Maximum impact. My family's heard me talk about it. I've been talking about it with my wife and kids. I've been talking about it in staff meetings. I don't want to just reach the people within the four walls of this service. I want to reach as many people as I possibly can. I want to impact lives. I want to make a difference. That's the way Epaphras was. We see the prognosis. We see the progression. But then thirdly, we see the prescription. The prescription. When God tells you you're sick, I'm glad he don't just leave you sick. Amen. Amen. He writes out a prescription. He broke it down in verse number 18, 19, and 20. You could put it like this. Verse number 18, buy of me. I counsel thee to buy of me. This is what you need to get. You need to be zealous in verse number 19. This is what you need to be. And repent, which is what you need to do. Buy of me. Be zealous. That word zealous, I looked it up, it means to burn with zeal, to be heated or to boil. (laughs) I know this is so simple. Please forgive me for preaching so simple. Y'all all look so smart, intelligent. I feel like a I feel like a kindergarten teacher teaching college. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, thou art lukewarm. Be zealous. (laughs) Come on now. You're lukewarm. So get on fire. Is that not what he says? Sure, that's what he says. I mean, you could go to college for four years and not get an education like I just gave you. You know what you do with lukewarm water to get it hot? Turn, you get, get 10,000 points. Turn the fire up. Turn the heat up. 
take a Christian that's lukewarm. How do you fix it? Be zealous. Get on fire. How do you get on fire? I'm not even on my notes anymore. How do you get on fire? Well, you got to get next to a fire. You know how I, I lit the candles. My wife's got candles everywhere. How many of y'all got, your wife's got candles everywhere? I like candles. I like those scented candles. Those pumpkin candles, I like them. You think, man, she's cooking pumpkin pie. No, she ain't. It's a candle. <laughs> you know how to light a candle? You know how to put fire on that wick? Come on now. Let me walk you through this. Pay attention. You know how to get that candle on fire? Come on. Get a fire and put it next to that wick. <laughs> Leave it there for a minute. It'll catch on. <laughs> you know what I do when I start feeling myself getting lukewarm, and I do sometimes? You know what I do? I find me a fire. Yeah. If you go in my study, I got a big old screen, a, t a TV screen in there, and I and I and I Chromecast uh, these these screensavers off of YouTube. It's like a fireplace. Right. If y'all go in here, see that. <laughs> and it's just fire, and you can turn the sound up, and it's crackling and popping. And sometimes I go over there and just stand right there next to it. Like <laughs> Man, it's cold in here. I need to get over here by this fire, and it don't work. It does not work. <laughs> but now you get a real fire. Come on. You stand next to that thing for just a few minutes. We used to stand up next to that fire barrel on the job. It'd be cold. Yeah. Be working outside in construction. There's ice everywhere. We'd put fire in that fire barrel. We'd back up that thing. We'd stand there. Woo. And walk up to our friends and grab the front of their pants and pull them like that right there. Oh, my soul will light you up, son. Back of your pants is so hot and you do like that. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> tell you how to get on fire. I ain't gonna preach this next point. I'll wait till tonight. I'm gonna tell you how to get on fire. This is so deep. I'll tell you how to get on fire. Find a fire. Yeah. And just get all over it. Find somebody that's on fire for God. Amen. Leave all them cold friends you've been hanging around. Backslid, carnal, worldly friends. Because right, what's happened is you've been assumed room temperature. You've done, you've, you've, done, you've done got in there where everybody is. And you've just gotten the average. You're sitting in church week after week, month after month, year after year, lukewarm. I wonder this morning if there'd be somebody in this service. I feel bad not preaching this last point, but it's too good to rush through. Somebody in this service right now, Here's what, here's, what, here's what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. He's pointing his finger at you right now. And you're saved. You know you're saved. You can remember when and where you got saved. That's not the problem. The problem is you didn't got lukewarm. He don't want to leave you that way. If he loves you, he's going to chasten you. He's going to rebuke you. And you know what he said? Repent and be zealous. I want you to be on fire. I want you to make a difference. Life's too short to live lukewarm. Father, we come to you this morning asking you in Jesus' name. If you would take the message, Lord, this morning, I didn't even finish it. And Lord, there's so much in the Bible about what we can do, that prescription for lukewarm. But Lord, there may be somebody here today, search their heart and realize they're not where they used to be. We've got a couple of people getting baptized this morning. If you're getting baptized, won't you come on down and we'll get that.